But we have two more weeks of a sermon series that we're going to do. And then after July uh, 2nd, we're going to start a new sermon series called Doing It Right. And we're going to talk about relationships. We're going to have a good time. We haven't done a relationship series for three years. And so we're going to have a good time going through the book of Song of Solomon. If you want to get ahead and be an A student, you can start reading ahead in that. If you want to blush, just read Song of Solomon. And so we're going to have a good time. Uh, but for the next few weeks, we're going to end this sermon series in the book of Jonah called I Would But. Last week, Pastor Jordan said, you know, I would, but I feel shame. And we talked about the difference between shame and, and conviction. Shame says uh, that you are something wrong. Conviction says you've done something wrong. There's a, there's a difference. Shame gives you no way out. Conviction shows you the way out. The way, the way through conviction is, is to give your, your sins to, to Jesus and allow him to, to forgive you and, and move on. And so we, we dealt with shame. So if you are somebody who struggles with shame, man, go back and catch up to that message, man. It was a great message. Next week, we're going to take a look at this topic. I, I, I would... Uh, but, but I feel like I missed my chance. Like, I, I wish I could have that great marriage. I wish I could have that great career, but I feel like I'm too, I'm too old to do that. I feel like I've done too many bad things. I feel like I've missed the boat. And so we're going to talk about what it, what it looks like and if that actually happens, if you can actually, you know, be dead to God, if he actually just kind of wipes his hands of you and just moves, moves forward. But today, the title of our mes- message is, is I would, but I feel stuck. I, I, I would... But I feel stuck. Anybody ever been in a spot in your life, you don't have to raise your hand, where you've just felt like there was no way out? Like there's, there's nothing you could do. You're, you're just stuck. And, and I would preface this whole, this whole sermon series with, with, with God, there's always a way out. Like no matter, no matter how bad it looks, no matter how dark it is, no matter how big the mountain is, no matter, no matter how, how much you think it, it's, it's too difficult with God, there is always a way out. In fact, Scripture says with God, all things are possible. But there has been moments in my life, and I'm sure in your life, where you felt stuck, like it's like uh, you'll know the right thing to do, but you don't really know how to how to get out of the current situation that you're in. That's what we're going to talk about today. I, I've given you this story before, but you know some of you are new, and I only have I only have a certain amount of stories, and so I'm going to tell you it again. You're going to act like you've never heard it before. Uh, but when I was 13 years old, I went to something called an all nighter. Anybody grow up in church and go to youth group? Been doing all nighter? Anybody? I was a youth pastor, right? And so I, I took kids to all nighters. All nighters are like a little slice of hell, right? They just all. And they used to call it a lock-in all-nighter. And so what they would do is, is they would take a couple hundred stinky teenagers, and they would put them in a room somewhere, and they would lock the door, and they would basically say, for the next 12 hours, have fun. Don't kill each other. We're going to play crazy games. You're going to run around. It's going to smell awful. You ever, you ever smell like a bunch of teenagers that have been stuck in a room? It smells awful. If you want to smell it, you know, get your background check and step in one of Journey Kids' rooms after church. It just has a distinct smell to it. And so... This lock-in I went to when I was 12, 13, 14 years old, I don't remember the exact age. It was, it was a pretty bad moment for me, though. And at about 12 o'clock at night, you start, you start kind of getting glazed and tired, and all these things start to happen. And at 12 o'clock at night, I had to go use the restroom. And so I was walking towards the restroom. So I told you a story before. And as I'm going towards the restroom, somehow I went into the wrong restroom. Somehow. Wasn't on purpose, wasn't being a pervert, wasn't even thinking. It's 12 o'clock at night. I simply, the rest was right beside each other. I was so tired. I was so drugged up on marshmallows from Chubby Bunny. I accidentally walk in and I just walk in and I don't even notice. Like, you ever been so tired you don't even notice? I just walked in. I didn't notice there was no urinals in the, in the restroom. I walked into a stall. I locked it. You know, I started doing, I went number one. It wasn't that bad because that would be super awkward. And I started doing my business. And the next thing I noticed is there's some cackling coming in. And it's not pre, you know, pre-puberty boys coming in, if you know what I'm saying. It's a bunch of girls walking into this bathroom. And I'm like, what are the girls doing in this bathroom? 
I mean, I know I'm, I'm sexy, but this is awkward. You're following me into the bathroom? And so that's my first thought. Why are these girls in the bathroom? But, and the problem is, they just, like, there's places women go that they never leave. Right? The mall and the restroom. If you're a husband, you know what I'm saying. Can I get an amen, right? You ever go to the mall with your wife? You'll never leave. Or Target, right? You get dying Target. And so we get in the bathroom, and I'm like, I'm just going to play it cool. I'm going to put my feet up on this toilet so they can't see that I have boy shoes on. And so I'm going to put my feet up on this toilet, and I'm just going to wait for them to leave. And they never left. Girls just kept coming in and talking about stuff. And so finally, you know, I'm stuck in a situation. I got to decide, you know, I'm stuck here for the next seven hours with these people. I'm probably never going to see them again, though. And so I just, at some point, I just put the, unlocked the door, hit it, and just ran out as fast as I could. And I don't even know if they ever even noticed that I was there. To be honest with you, I never made eye contact with any of them. But I was, I was stuck. You know, you know, you've never been in a situation where you don't really know what to do. Let me give you another example. I saw this example this week. I want to show you this picture. Can you bring this picture up? I want to explain this picture because it's a bunch of grown men in their underwear. But there's this guy in a river in China. Uh, his last name is Chen. I can't pronounce his first name, so I'm not even going to try. So we're going to call him Mr. Chen. But Mr. Chen went to go swimming in this river. This is, this is a real news story. You can look it up. Uh, and he went to go swimming in this river. Uh, and when he went to walk in on the bank, he sunk down in waist-deep silt, like mud, and he could not get out. Luckily, he had a cell phone, though. But he refused to use it because he was too embarrassed because he was stuck in silt. So four hours passed. He has a cell phone. He could get out. He's trying to get out. The more he tries to get out, he can't. He refuses to make a phone call until two fishermen come by. And he says, hey, can you help me? So they did what he wouldn't do. They called the fire department up. The fire department showed up, and they looked into the situation. And these are the four firemen. They had to strip down to their underwear to get him out. Seven hours, they tried to get him out. And you know why it took seven hours to get him out? Because he refused to take his clothes off. I think if a bunch of grown men were around me in their underwear... And I was in there for more than, you know, I would take what, you want me to get naked? Just get me away from these men in their underwear, right? <laughs> Set, he's in this for 11 hours simply because he refuses to not take the necessary steps to get out. And so here's what I want, you can take that picture off because that's kind of, kind of awkward in church. But here, here's what I want to talk to you about today. There's two different times of being stuck. The first time that you can be stuck, and this is not what I want to talk to you because it's not applicable to our story, is there's times in your life when you're stuck in what I would call waiting room. And what I mean by that is it's not a bad stuck. You haven't done anything to get stuck. You've actually done everything right, but, but you're still stuck. And I've always taught you that, listen, just because God is, is, is delaying you does not mean he's denying you. So some of you, you're in a waiting room right now, and God's simply still working the plan out. He's still doing something through you before he takes you to something. That's not what I want to talk about today. What I want to talk about is the moments in your life when you're stuck simply because you refuse to let go. You're stuck in a relationship simply because you refuse to, to do it the right way. You're stuck financially because you refuse to handle your money the way God calls you to handle it. And so you're, you're stuck in, in, like no matter how much you pray, what are you stuck in? You're stuck in anxiety and fear. That, that, that's what it looks like. If you have anxiety and fear about finances, I can guarantee you, you're not putting Christ first in your money and following his word. It's, it's just the way that it goes. That's, and so instead of just doing, you'll just pray, God, take away my anxiety, take away my anxiety. And he's going to say, let go. No, I can't. You, you're like a monkey in, in, in India. You ever hear about how they catch monkeys in India? They put a lollipop inside of a jar. And, and the, the opening is big enough for a monkey to get his hand in. But once he grabs a hold of the, of, of, of the lollipop, 
It's too small for him to, to, to get it out. And so he'll get caught trying to get this lollipop out of this hole simply because he won't let go of the lollipop. And some of you, you're, you're stuck in a situation. You're trying to pull it out. God, help me pull it out. And he's going to let go of it. I can't let go of it. I can't let go of it. I need the lollipop. Well, you can't go anywhere until you let go of it. But I can't let go of it. You're just shaking it around. You come in here every week. God, help me. Let go. No, I need it. I need it. Can you just make the opening bigger for me? And so I want to talk to you about what that looks like. Because I feel like a lot of times in our lives, you know, we, we get stuck uh, and we, we kind of know what to do, but we don't know exactly where to find the, the strength to do it. There, there's going to become a time in your life when God needs to change you, not your scenario. Your, your scenario is going to continue to be the same. Like, you, you, could, you cannot date the right way this time and then find the next person and not date the right way. And guess what happens? The situation remains the same. It's not a job problem. It's not a, it's not a finance problem like the extent or the amount that you have. It's not a relationship problem it's maybe it's just a a you problem maybe like like the actual problem and i know that's hard to look at like the truth is we much rather deal with everybody else right like how many times we walk away from church going "Mm mm-hmm i hope they heard that (laughs) right like no matter what you talk about at some point all of us in our head and i do it too i go man i hope they're here today i read their facebook page last week they need to hear this (laughs) so don't look everywhere else and just look at your own life and go man is there is an area in my life where I'm stuck, I keep, I keep butting up against a, a wall that feels like it won't move. And I think this is very applicable to Jonah. If you, if you remember the story of Jonah, so far, we, we've heard that God has come to his prophet and he says, hey, go to the city of Nineveh and preach the grace of God to them. Preach repentance. And the Bible says, that's his job, by the way. He's a prophet for God. So his main job is to share with people what God wants him to share. And he was cool with it as long as he wasn't going to his, his enemies. And so scripture says he gets on a boat and he sails as far in the other direction as he can sail. Last week you remember that he's in the bottom of the boat and a great storm comes on. And all of a sudden he's in the midst of a, of a, of a great kind of a waves crashing up against the boat. They draw lots. And whose fault is it? It's Jonah's fault. What do you do? I'm a prophet. What are you doing on this boat? Running from God, right? The Bible says that they, they then decide, and he decides, throw me overboard. And that's kind of where we ended. And you'll notice in this story, there's a few times where you're like, this story has to be over. And I, I think it's good because I think there's so many times in your life where you're like, well, I guess it's just over. I've, like, I've made so many mistakes. I've done so many stupid things. But with God, there's always a way out. And so I want to show you in Scripture, in Jonah chapter 1, verse number 17, how it, how it, how it, how it kind of played out. He's thrown overboard. He's in the, in the sea right now. It's a, it's a massive storm going on like you would think he's dead and on top of that he deserves it like he, he deserves death he, he, he disobeyed God he got himself in trouble God sent a storm to get his attention it didn't get his attention he was sleeping down in the boat you guys deal with this I know it's my fault but you deal with it scripture says he goes into the water and check out what happens in John chapter or Jonah chapter 1 verse number 17 it says now the Lord I like how he writes this and you need to remember Jonah is writing this after this happens wouldn't that be cool if you could step back from your life in like 10 years and you could actually look back and go, oh, that, actually, that was actually a good thing, even though it felt awful. Like in 2017, there were some painful moments that happened in my life. But as I'm writing about them a few years later, they were actually really good moments. You know, I'm sure when he got swallowed by a great fish, and a lot of times we teach it was a whale because we don't know what other fish that it would be, but there's all sorts of big, nasty, ugly fishes in the sea, right? And so we don't know exactly what it is, but I'm sure when he saw the, you know, this mouth coming at him, he wasn't like, thank you, God, you're rescuing me. Thank you, God, for making a way. But in the story, when he rewrites it, he says, 
Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. He's stuck. And it's his fault. He was stuck in a storm. And it's his fault. He's stuck in the belly of a fish. It's his fault. Some of you are stuck in situations right now, and you're going to begin to realize it's, it's my fault. God's sending him your way, and here's, here's what you need to understand. He's not sending you these situations to torment you. He's sending them to turn you. He, he, he's not making it difficult on you to torment your life. He's sending them to you to turn you away from things that are ultimately going to take you away from his purpose and cause pain in, in your life. And so the next moments of his life are beautiful. I believe they're life-changing. I believe it's when you get in the belly of a fish that you can't get out, when you get in situations where you understand, I'm stuck. It's how you react to that that determines where you go, that I think this can be one of the most, this is one of the most beautiful moments in Jonah's life. And I think if you're in a situation now that you can actually experience the, the beauty and the grace of God. And I want to show you kind of how he responds because we, we know because he, he writes about it in Jonah chapter two. And here's what you're going to notice about his life is he's about to experience what I would call breakthrough. A breakthrough. It's it's an army term. It's an army term. It's it's when one army is attacking another another army, and they find an area of 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 the army where they can break through and, and kind of take ground and, and win a battle. And what happens is the other army, when they figure out where, where, where they're coming from, they, they give even more. They put even more artillery, even more men. And so that area where you're trying to find breakthrough, it's actually never easily surrendered. And so what I need you to understand is we kind of talk through this situation because some of you, you need a breakthrough in your life, but the breakthrough in your life is not a different scenario, it's a different person, it's, it's you changing. And when you get a breakthrough in your life, you become a new person. Man, you can begin to experience the goodness and the grace of God, the future that he has, he has written down before the foundations of the world. But here's what you need to understand about a breakthrough is oftentimes, this is, this is so important, it takes an overwhelming breakdown to have an undeniable breakthrough. You're going to see this right now. In other words, brokenness is often the road to breakthrough. And in our spiritual life, this can happen no matter how much God loves us, no matter what he wants to do for us, or how earnestly he seeks to bless us. He cannot do anything with a person who has a closed heart and pride refusing to bend or break. No matter how good his plan is for you, no matter how much he wants to get you over, over the hump, a spiritual breakthrough. You see, when we, when we think about breakthroughs and breakdowns, we tend to get bad thoughts in our head. Like if you have a car breakdown, that's a bad thing, right? Like that's, a, that's an awful week. If, if you have your car breakdown this week and then your, your washer, washing machine broke down and, and, and then something else, like that's, those weeks are the worst, right? And so we tend to think of breakdowns like that or we, th- we think mental breakdown. Like man, kind of succumbed to stress and you know, it just what, went through a really emotional time, but for, for spiritual breakdowns, they're really important in your life. Like every person in this room, including Jonah, has to come to what I would call a place where God is, is breaking them. And so I want to show you what happens because he's in the belly of a whale, and I'm sure there was a lot of other words spoken. Like, let's, let's be honest. He's in there for three days. I don't think his first thing is, thank you, God. He looks up. He's like, what in the heck? You're going to keep me alive a little longer to kill me? I was about to drown and, you know, go to the bottom and you let this thing come and swallow me. He looks around. There's some dead things floating around him. He's like, this is the worst situation in the world. And then at some moment, he has this breakthrough. But it happens when God begins to break this man of God down. And he, listen, he went into this well one way, but he's going to come out a different way. 
He went in with pride and arrogance and the belief that he was in control and him deciding, I'm not doing what you want me to do, which I think many of us would, 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 would relate to. I'm not doing that. I don't care what you say, God. And he goes through this spiritual breakthrough led by a breakdown, and he comes out of this fish a different person. And, and I believe that every person in this room who wants to be used by God, that this is a moment you have to have. This is the only way you follow God into uncharted waters. This is the only way that you do things that don't make sense to other people. This is the only way that you walk in faith and not sight. The Bible says without faith, it's what? It's impossible to please God. You can try to please God by sitting in a church service. It doesn't take faith. Not in America. You can try to please God by reading a couple empty Bible verses, but the Bible says it's without faith. It's without action. Without those things, it's impossible to please God. And so you're going to see him become a totally different man. And so I want to show you in the book of Jonah chapter 2 what happens. This is what he writes. And you notice he doesn't take any time with whining. He doesn't take any time with griping. He doesn't take any time with telling you how scared he was. I believe he had all those things. He doesn't take any time to tell you how angry he was with God. He simply summarizes, here's what I realized in the belly of this fish. Jonah chapter 2 verse number 1. It says, for inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. I like that right there. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep inside the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Then he says in verse number three, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, again towards your whole, uh, the seas, and the current swelled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. I like this. Seaweed has been wrapped around my head. It's disgusting. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath bared me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought me up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling, write this down real fast. And remember this verse. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. What's he saying? What I told you I would do when you asked me to do it, and then I went the other way, I'm actually going to do it. Do you see what's happening in this moment? He's having what I would call breakthrough. His relationship with God for the very first time is changing. He's getting broken down in the middle of this this fish. And some of you, you're in the middle of, of of a fishy situation. You're in the middle of a situation where you feel stuck, and God's about to do something in your life, not just changing your scenario, but first changing you. Let me give you four steps to that. Number one, it involves confession. Confession. Can we, be, can we be honest? We're not real good at that in church. How does confession normally look? When I get caught, then I'll confess. I don't know many people who, who confess before they get caught in church. I, I, just, I just don't know anybody, actually. It's usually like at the end where it's like, holy, man, crap is hitting the fan. Everybody knows. So I better come clean and and usually what happens when we're honest, we come clean with the details that we have to come clean with. The more, you, ever, you ever notice this? The more details that come out, then we're like, okay, I did that too. And, and okay, I did that too. And okay, I did that too. And, and, and you'll notice in this, in this, this passage, how, how does he start? Where, where does the breakdown start? He says this, and I love this. He says, in my distress. Who's distress? My distress. 
in, in my situation, in the pain that I've caused, in, in, in the, the mistakes that I've caused. I'm in the middle of the fish, this fish, because of myself. I was in a storm because of my disobedience. Like, I'm here because of myself. How often do we do that with God? No, we do the opposite. God, why isn't my relationship with this person working out? I know they're not a Christian. I know you said not to do that. But God, why isn't it working out? God, why if I live with this person? Isn't it working out? I know it says it. I know you say don't live with somebody until you get married, man. The marriage bed should not be defiled. Like, do things right. I know what it says, but, but God, when it doesn't go right, why can't you just make it right? Why don't you just fix it? Why don't you just go against your word and just do what I want you to do? Instead, Jonah says, it's not your fault. It's my fault. It's my fault that I have anxiety. It's my fault that I'm going through fear. It's my fault that I can't stop worrying. It's my fault because I've refused to allow you to break me down and to become all that I'm supposed to be. In other words, here's what you need to understand. Pride, which is what Jonah had before, it hides you from confession. He was under the boat, and it separates you from protection. When you don't confess your sins... It hides you from the presence of God, and it separates you from his protection. But he says, no, 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 no. this is, is my fault. If you're a parent, could you imagine this scenario in your house? You know what it's like if you have kids. What do they do? They don't tell you jack crap. They are sinners, right? Like my, my youngest son, Harrison, he will have something in his hand that he's not supposed to have, and he is eating it, and it will be in his mouth, and the evidence will be around his mouth. And he will still tell me he's not eating it. I'll look at my lazy boy. I'll go to lay back on my lazy boy sometime and I'll reach my hand back. And there's all sorts of sticky food and stuff like that from the times when I've walked in the room and he is quickly. Could you imagine the moment in your life where your kids came in and said, hey, pops, you told me not to do this. I decided to do it anyways. It's caused me a deep bellyache because that's what I pray happens to my kids. <laughs> and this is my fault. Or, or how, about, how about when you tell your kids not to do certain things and they still do them and they get hurt? Could you imagine the moment they were like, you told me every day for the last 10 years of my life, don't jump here, don't do that, don't go here. I did it and I got hurt and I just want to tell you thank you for all the times you told me that. This is my fault. What do they do? Ah, what's wrong? What do you mean? Ah, right? Could you imagine the moment they did that? What happens in those situations if you actually had a kid like that? And if you do have a kid like that, we don't want to know about him or her. But if you actually had a kid like that, if they actually got to that situation where they came to you and said, man, I disobeyed you and I caused my own pain and I just want to thank you for still loving me and thank you for giving me good guidance and good wisdom, all of a sudden, what's your heart doing? Your heart is mending. In other words, when you own your mistakes, it attracts the mercy of God. When you own your mistakes, it attracts the mercy of God. In fact, it says that in the Bible in Isaiah 66. Watch this. These are the ones on whom I look with favor. Watch this, watch this. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit. Those who are humble and, watch this, who tremble at my word. You actually understand the significance of my... Do we, do we ever think about that? God could kill you if he wanted to. We, 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 we play with God too much. 
We look at the pictures of Jesus dressed in the, in the, in the white, perfectly white robe and the flowing blonde hair. He's Jewish. And we, we think to ourselves, look how nice he is and look how kind he is. And then we hear people quote with memes. He just says, loving God. And, and you're right, but that God also will one day judge the world. One day you will stand before God. He says, you know who my mercy is attracted to? Those that tremble at my word. You know what that means? Those that take my word serious. Those that understand the significance of my commands. They tremble in my presence. They know how lucky they are. Do you realize, church, how lucky we are to stand in the presence of the risen Lord today? This is not normal. We don't deserve to be in his presence by just coming in going, oh, look at us. He doesn't need to be here. He's chosen to show up every week, and we get to worship him, and we get to be in his presence. And, man, when you say, man, sometimes in my life, I cause my own distress. I'm in this relationship, and I get it, but it's nobody else's fault but mine. Man, that's a great place where God can begin to work in your life. I have financial stress, but it's my fault. I, I, I have a secret that I've kept in for too long, and it's eating away at my bones. And because I haven't confessed it and brought light to it, God, in my distress, he says. Now, now watch what we keep saying. Number one is confession. Number two is, is clarity. Cl- clarity. I, I love what he says, and we just talked about it a second ago, but he says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. He also says in that, he says, he says, you provided uh, a way for, for me to keep going. God, it, 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 when, when the waves were coming, and God, when that storm was happening, and God, when all these bad things, he, he's having clarity in, in his thought in that moment. He's going, man, maybe God is, is working not, not, not to get me, but to, but to turn me. Maybe, maybe, maybe he wants to do something in my life. In, in other words, maybe I'm stuck in this whale and stuck in this storm, not because God is angry with me, but because he has a stubborn love for me. There's clarity there. Maybe, maybe I keep getting held up because God refuses to allow me to walk in ways that ultimately will hurt me. Maybe these relationships never work. Maybe this decision will never work. Maybe the way that I think about things, it will never lead to life because God refuses to feed me poison. He loves me too much and he is too confident in who he is to, to, not, to, to not stop me from doing things that are going ultimately, to ultimately hurt me. He even says it. He says, he says, the engulfing waters in verse number five, they threaten me. The deep surrounds me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought me up from life from the pit. And then he says in one verse, he says, I'll look again to, to your temple. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm understanding again. Here's how I was defining it the first time. But I'm going to go back and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look uh, again, I'm going to pay attention again. I'm going to have clarity of mind. I'm going to look at things the way you want me to see them. And then number three is this, is, is I, think, I think every breakdown involves certainty. You ever hear the statement, man, we got here by happy accident? You know, like at Journey Church, that happens often because we don't measure stuff, right? And so we'll just start building stuff. It drives Pastor Bob, you know, uh, crazy. And so we'll just start building stuff. And then every once in a while, we do something, and it's like a happy accident. You're like, it turned out well, look. I measured with my feet. One, two, three. How many? Four, five. You ever do that? Come on. It's, it's, a, it's a Dutchy way to do stuff. And you just, you just go, hey, this, this is good. 
and it just works out. Or like you build something. Like this week we built these, these, these baseball things. We didn't know how we were going to put the, the card on the things. And we just had enough wood left over. And when I say left over, what I mean is we had bought a bunch of wood for projects that we never used because it was extra because we didn't measure. And so we had this. And it just worked out that we had exactly enough wood to build the stands that are actually still standing right now, even though we didn't measure them at all to put our baseball card, our tops. It just worked out. It's what you would call, it wasn't a plan. It's a happy accident. And some of you, 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 you enjoy living your life like a happy accident. You know what I'm saying? There was no plan. There's been no structure. There's been no faithfulness. But I'm still living a happy accident, God. Nothing's gone too bad yet. And, and here's the thing about, 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 about you and about Jonah. Certainty is a good thing. Because when you know how something worked out, it enables you to, to, to keep going in the future. And when, when you know how you get somewhere that you're not supposed to be, hopefully in these moments it will teach you, I should never do this again. I can't tell you how many, how many times. that I, This is why I don't do counseling, right? Because people drive me crazy. How many times somebody will come in and you will say with certainty, you are the problem in your life. Why? How do you know? That's what my last counselor said. Well, you ain't paying me, so I'm going to tell you the truth, right? You are the problem. You need to stop doing this. You need to stop dating that. You need to stop saying this. You need to stop going there. Man, you're right. With certainty, they walk out of your office, and they go, and then a few months later, they're doing the exact same thing again. And you're like, you had, you, like, you, you, you. That's how it goes. You don't even know what to say. You mean to me. That you knew with certainty, because that's what breakthrough involves certainty. Breakdown goes, man, I know how I got here. I know where I've been. Look, Look what he says. He says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. How did I get here? Because I was clinging to the wrong thing. And if you cling to the wrong thing, it will take you to the wrong spot. If you cling to anything besides Jesus Christ, you will be let down anything. In fact, the promise of scripture is seek first his kingdom and everything else that everyone else is looking, about, looking at. And I don't have time to get into this message, but he deals with food. He deals with clothes. He deals with money. He deals with provision. He deals with ta- being taken care of. Everything else that everybody else has stressed out about will be added. But first, you need to cling to me. How did I get here? I was clinging to the wrong thing. What were you clinging to? Protection, sanity, right? didn't make sense to me. And so I got on a boat and I sailed as far away as I could. And so he says in the middle of this, God, I know how I got here. God, I know how I got here. And then number four is what I would call control. See, the truth is, whenever we face an out of control situation, many of us tend to go in this one extreme, ready? The more out of control your life gets, what happens? The more you try to control it. That's what happens. And there, there's been this, this fight going on, and it happens between all of us and God for control. That's what the fight was with, with Jonah. I'm not going there. That wasn't what my plans were. Like, I planned on staying alive, God. My plans, God, are, are, are marriage and three kids. I don't have any yet, so I don't know, but three kids, and all the parents say, you stop it too, right? And, my plans are, you know, this and that and going here. And, and the truth is, the, the main struggle 
is control. And the main step to a spiritual breakthrough is when God breaks down your, 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 your decisions, your abilities, your, your desires to constantly be in control. And actually what it is is you're just in the way. You are actually in the way of God's plan. Listen, he will never relent control to you. You know why? Because you will destroy your life without him. Think about your kids. I've often thought to myself, what if I just stopped picking up after them? What if I stopped telling them to bathe? What if I stopped telling them to brush their teeth? What if I stopped coming back after they brushed their teeth and actually brushed their teeth? What if I stopped cooking them food? What if I stopped telling them to close the door every time they came into my house? How does this house look? Well, I can tell you what happens if I relent control to my kids. First of all, their teeth are, are falling out by the time they're 13 years old. They're never getting married. They're going to be in my house forever. Second of all, they're going to eat only what they want to eat. They are never going to touch a vegetable again, ever. They're going to eat. And the problem is, if I step out of control, they're not even going to have any food soon. They're never going to bathe. They're never going to do their wash. Disease is going to fill my house. They're never going to close the door. And so those squirrels and those bugs that my third son is irrationally afraid of, they're going to be in his bed at nighttime. A few weeks back, true story, we, we left. Every week, closed door, closed door, closed door. We left for about four hours that night. I came home. The door is wide open in the back of my house. Every time we hear a noise, I look at Harrison. I said, that's the squirrel in our house right now. Don't go to sleep tonight, bro. What would happen? Their life would completely fall apart. So even when they want, I want control. I want this now. I don't care about closing the door. I don't care about the AC bill. I don't go, you know what? You guys are right. Your temper tantrums are too much that I can stand. What do I do? I don't care if you cry. I don't care if you're upset. I don't care if you don't want to eat your veggies. I don't care if you don't want to close the door. I'm your dad. I'm the boss. I'm never going to relent control. This is my house. I brought you into this world, and I will take you out of it. That is my role and my right to say as your dad. And listen, same thing is true for God. You're clapping up. Hey, good word, pastor, about your kids. Whoop their butts. Discipline them. It's amazing how we want, like, I'm at Target last night with my wife in there for two hours trying to get ready for church today, right? Some kid's freaking out, right? Screaming. Some guy walks by. Somebody needs to bust that kid in the face. All right. It's amazing how much we enjoy it when it's like, hey, it's your kids. You, do, you should do that to them. What about you? All the times you try to control your life, you come in here, you're trying to control it. You want God to be a little bit involved in it, but you're being disobedient. You're stuck somewhere, and he's, he's saying, I'm the boss. I brought you into this world. I'll take you out. Who do you think that saying came from? Like, it's, it's going to be my will. We're going to keep fighting. And some of you are going, why is he going to keep fighting you? Because he ridiculously, stubbornly, obsessively loves you. And he is not going to let you get into a relationship that is going to hurt you. He's not going to let you handle money in a way that it's going to hurt you. He's going to continue to cause you to be stuck. And you're going to pray, God, change my situation. And he's going to go, no, I need to change you. You need a spiritual breakthrough in your life. But before you can have a breakthrough, i got to break you down. you got to give up control 
in your life. He's not interested in your opinions today. He just wants your obedience. When you begin to obey God, you invite the good shepherd into your life. You, you, you invite the, the wonder-working power of the Holy Spirit into your life. You'll be, begin to be protected by the line of the tribe of Judah. Whenever you refuse to say yes, ultimately it will keep you from God's best. But as soon as you say yes, God is able to do the work that he wants to do in your life. So some of you are, are stuck. It's all about how you react in this situation. I know it's scary. Listen, new ground is never easily taken, ever. Some of you have never relented. You've come in and you've trusted God with your eternity, but you won't trust him with the temporary. Think about how foolish that is. God, when I die, my heart stops. You're going to get me. But the remainder of my life, we're going to have this continual battle that goes on where it's going to be my will versus your will. And God's going, really? Shut the door. Go brush your teeth. Stop worrying about all these other things you're supposed to be You're worrying about. I got this. I'm God. I'm the maker of the heavens and the earth. Before you were ever on this earth, I was penning out your story from start to finish. I got this. And I want to show you what happens as we, we close. I, I love this because God's going to keep you here in this moment until he gets you what I'm about to show you. He's going to keep you there until he gets you here. But this is what it says in the book of, of, of Jonah chapter 2. He prays this prayer and watch what he pens next in verse number 10. I love this. Can you put, put that up? I love these words. This is maybe the most disgusting Bible verse that's ever been written. It says, and the Lord commanded the fish not to, not to just gently drop them off on the seashore. And he just walked out. The Bible says the fish begins to feel the pain that he's supposed to feel and regurgitation. And the Bible says, and it vomited Jonah out on the dry land. He's going in this thing. He's going through the situation. God's breaking him down. He's having a spiritual breakthrough. And as soon as he says to God, I'm going to do what you told me to do. I'm going to go tell those people that salvation comes to them through you. I'm, I'm going to keep my vow. The Bible says the next thing, that when the breakdown happens, the breakthrough happens in, in his life. And he goes through the, and onto the dry land. Some of you, God wants to do that in your life today. He wants to have, ha, <laughs> few, There's a few stories in Scripture that involve spit. They're always good. He just wants to, he wants to get you moving. He wants to get you moving. Life is too precious. Time is passing for you to continue to waste your time trying to get your way. Your way stinks. Your way causes pain. Your way brings anxiety. Your way brings fear. The way you try to make decisions, it ultimately leaves you in the dark. God's way is good. God is good all the time and all the time. Come on, God is what? Come on, say it again. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is... Come on, man. God wants to do something in your life right now. But he, he wants to change you, not your scenario. When you change... Your scenarios will change. Would you stand up with me?